Hi guys, I don't normally run ads on this show, but this is the family business, luggagewarehouse.co.za. My dad, my brother, my stepbrother, my uncle have all worked for Luggage Warehouse directly, and I've done freelance brand strategy for them for years now. So it supports the whole family. It supports this show indirectly. So if you're looking for luggage, accessories, uh, handbags, and fashion stuff, even you can go to luggagewarehouse.co.za. And there are two products that I want to pull out for you here. Number one being Builderset, which allows you to create your own combination of large, small, medium, check-in, hand luggage, all that stuff. And it gives you a discount for each additional bag you buy up to a certain limit, I think. But you can get great discounts on big collections of big luggage. So if you're thinking of immigrating, it's the perfect way to kind of gear up for that. And the second thing I want to pull out is Luggage Glove, which is a protective sleeve that my dad invented. My brother has kind of perfected over the years. It's a thick 3D fabric mesh sleeve that pulls over your um, over your luggage and then locks closed. It's got a TSA lock. It's got holes for the handles, so it's quite convenient. It's not like single-use plastic wraps because you don't have to cut open a hole in the plastic to use the handle you can take it off easily it's got a combination lock and it's much more sustainable because you're not just murdering turtles with single-use plastic uh, but it makes the bag much more difficult to get into and it protects it from bumps and scrapes and if you are emigrating then those are two important things because you might be carrying actual valuables in your check-in luggage and because they're going to be heavy and you might be going a long distance they can pick up some major damage so luggage gloves uh, do a great job of protecting your luggage in the long term that's it for my pitch, luggagewarehouse.co.za. There's a link in the show notes. The biggest thing that I realized was incredible about London is that literally anything is possible here. Mm. You can be anyone here. There is a market for the nichest of niche things, like a massive cereal shop is the first thing that comes to the top of my head. I mean, that's ridiculous, but in shortage, there's a cereal shop that you can walk into and buy any kind of cereal under the sun. <laughs> that's amazing. Just a need for every type of human in London. So if you hustle and you look and you're willing to try things out, there is a place for everyone here. Mm. And nobody bats an eyelid at the unusual or the strange. So you can quite literally be most wonderfully and independently yourself here and it'll be appreciated. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to South African Expats, the podcast for immigration-curious South Africans, now with uh, sexy, sexy music that should be playing in the background about now. I'm just trying something new. So today, I'm speaking to Tanith and Ollie, who live in the UK, and they moved there a while ago, and I'm not going to ask that question until I say welcome to the show, Tanith and Ollie. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks Good day. So let me start with a quick introduction to you guys. You are uh, very dear family friends or... Um, for me, but mostly Tanith and uh, my wife are besties. Uh, they used to, they grew up together. They used to show off on roller skates together back in uh, Nelkbostrand. Tanith is a designer, interior designer, I believe, and a uh, yoga instructor. And I don't know what Ollie does. <laughs> <laughs> Banker for biodiversity and delighted to say Tanith has a pair of roller skates to this day. Okay, of course. I remember now. I, I've slandered you, Ollie. You actually uh, are involved in a financial instrument that is based on... Sorry, I mean, I have to ask, when does this go out? Because uh, I work in a regulated industry. <laughs> It'll probably end up going out early next week. Can't talk about it, I'm afraid. No worries. Basically, my job is to, to look at how we integrate biodiversity into financial services so that we're taking into account the impact that we have on biodiversity 
as well as the dependencies uh, that we have on biodiversity. Amazing. So let's get on to the questions then. Uh, the inter- interview is divided into two parts, decision and preparation, which is 13 questions, and adjusting to a new life, which is another, what's 22 minus 14, Ollie? <laughs> Eight. Oh, well done, Tanith. Two points. Yay, You're already winning this that. quiz. I, I don't know if it's true. I didn't even do the calculation. <laughs> I confirm. Okay, awesome, fantastic. Okay, so before you guys moved, where in South Africa did you live? Parkhurst in Johannesburg. Are you in London or are you one of those just outside London calling it London people? No, we're in the heart of darkness. Zone one. Okay. Zone one, yeah. We're two stops from Waterloo, so we're pretty central. Okay, amazing. That's great because it's it's uh, kind of difficult. I don't know whether it's just because the people I'm talking to are in roughly in my age band, but a lot of them seem to have um, headed out for nearby suburbs. I think we're in your same age band as well. It's more the child band. Right, the baby band. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. So you've been there seven years in the middle of London. Why did you move initially? Well, we initially moved because we wanted to start the process of me getting my British citizenship through my ancestry mm-hmm. and also just to have an experience of living abroad. We would both consider ourselves relatively progressive, open to change. And I think that as kids growing up uh, during a transition in South Africa where we saw uh, simple things like our our right to mobility across the world changed dramatically, right? Mm-hmm. We went from being in sanctions and embargoed and, you know, going overseas meant going to Mauritius because that was somewhere that the Green Mamba could get in mm-hmm. um, to suddenly the world was your oyster, right? For me personally, there has always been heritage to the UK. My mum is British. I have family still here. So this has always been kind of a a second home and certainly something that has been pushed by my mother, not just she wants to give up on her colonial roots, if you will. The ability for us to suddenly have access to the whole world and the UK being a historically great launch pad to wander around Europe is super appealing or was super appealing, you know, in terms of decision making. Obviously, in that seven-year period, we've had Brexit, which has meant that that launch pad into Europe element has changed. Sure. But the reality is, is that it presents all sorts of other opportunities that we wouldn't necessarily have had uh, in South Africa. And to be quite frank, my job is a perfect example of that. I wouldn't have had the opportunities back home. And I mean, arguably, similarly for you, right? You wouldn't have had the the scope of or scale of projects, scale et cetera. Scale of project, yeah. Yeah, Tanith, you work on ultra high net worth individuals' houses designs, right? Yeah, exactly. And I just think that the kind of density of that type of high net worth individual in the UK is a lot broader. Mm. So the platform of designers within the UK is a lot bigger to feed that network. And so the opportunities that exist here are varied and many. Mm-hmm. And you can try out all types of design kind of scopes or streams and pretty much everything is open on every platform here. Like there's all, and what I mean by that is like all different types of styles and level of interior design, whether it be private or or commercial is available for you to try out here. And so it just felt like the career progression, that curve was going to be a lot steeper. Mm -hmm. So that was really appealing as well. And pretty much everything that I thought was like a really big goal to reach when I first moved here was very accessible to me within the first, I'd say, three to five years of living here. Wow. Whereas in South Africa, 
I feel like that would have taken me about 10 to 15 years. Right, maybe. right. Interior design and architecture and all that are a very um, slow climb to the top in South Africa that I've heard. Yeah, and I think it's probably got a lot to do with the scale of project and also just South Africa is such a desirable location that international architects and designers also want to work there. Mm. So what happens is you get a local market that's you know isn't quite big enough to feed the local designers and architects already getting kind of encroached upon if that's probably not the right word but you know yeah. I don't blame sure. them it's an, it's an incredibly intra- attractive country and why wouldn't you want to be involved in a project there okay so uh when it comes to the middle of London why did you guys pick that specific destination as opposed to others that you may have looked at <laughs> well listen I think that um <clears throat> so I I'd previously lived in London mm-hmm and had followed the traditional path of finishing university and then rushing into a plane, coming here. And in that process, ended up in in the traditional strongholds of Wimbledon, Southfields, and as far north as I made it was Battersea. So selfishly for me, coming back a second time, there was a driver to to avoid that area, the southwest, and and that kind of led us to something more central. And, you know, this is not where we first arrived, Elephant and Castle. We first actually arrived in, in Marlebone uh, on Baker Street. Nice. Historic. Very historic. But uh, we ended up having to do a rental that obviously we booked online. No one had seen it. Right. I still remember to this day, you could you could place a bag on wheels at one side of the apartment and watch it roll across the entire length of the apartments, <laughs> further to which the rest of the building seemed to be a... Establishment of the night. Oh, interesting. We had some very interesting neighbours, to say the least. Hectic. So I think we lasted there three weeks, and then we <laughs> ended up finding a place around the corner, right, which Tan had had the opportunity to physically go and see. Mm-hmm. And it was flat and clean. <laughs> And she was excited. So so that's where we ended up. And we, we stayed there for a year before we moved here. And part of moving to the southeast was that Marlebone was a little bit uh, more traditional. And Elephant and Castle presented kind of what we thought was going to be a hipper, cooler crowd. Mm-hmm. We are now definitively too old for. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, did your family and friends support your move? Yeah. Pretty much everyone was behind us. Um, I say pretty much everyone. I can't think of anyone that was against it, to be honest. I think people also knew that we weren't looking to necessarily have a traditional family in the sense of, you know, raising kids in South Africa or needing to be close to grandparents. Mm -hmm. And so that gave us um, just a different kind of forecast into what we were going to be doing. So it made sense, really. I don't think anyone was against it. Right. No, I think also what's important is is that we've never really framed this as this is forever, right? Mm-hmm. This has just always been what we're doing now. You know, we certainly don't commit to the UK forever. And that's not to suggest that, you know, we're coming back to South Africa. It could mean that if an opportunity arises in Hong Kong, we would go there or the US, we would go there. And so it's, you know, I guess important for us that there's that ongoing mobility. Right. And that probably talks to our characters that we... A little bit uh, hesitant to commit to things. That's probably why it took us so long to get married, etc. <laughs> There'll always be some, like another opportunity and we should be ready to take it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. How long did it take from making the decision to actually getting there? 
can't remember the exact period of time, but obviously Oliver had his passport already, so that was a pretty easy part for him. I had to put together a whole bunch of documents. I had to get hold of my grandmother's original birth certificate. I had to get hold of my parents' unabridged birth certificate, so my father's, because it went through that lineage, to show that he was the son of my gran. Mm -hmm. And then I had to get my unabridged birth certificate to show that I was the daughter of him so that I had that direct lineage. And as you know, in South Africa, that can take a very long time. I remember being pleasantly surprised at how quick it was. Right. Luckily, my aunt already had all the documents to hand because she had been looking into a citizenship for her daughter through the same ancestral lineage. So she already had the birth okay. certificate of my gran. And that, so that was pretty quick. Tan used a service, a third-party provider, to apply for that ancestral visa. And, you know, I think that there is such, such a focus on documentation being perfect that it definitely creates like this air of panic right you mm. know, be terrified you're going to make some error sure. um that's going to come back to haunt you but i mean i think that's yeah. it's you know maybe 12 months it took six to 12 months yeah i'd say six to 12 months i don't remember it being more than a year and to oliver's point the amount of documentation and having gone through the seven-year process of applying for my citizenship the amount of documentation you have to put together over the years while you're on that path to transforming your ancestral visa into citizenship, every single stage, they make you so petrified. And I say they, mm. you know, just because it feels like such a big life decision and you have to put forward such official documents, mm. that that terror that you're going to do it wrong is very real. Yeah. And having been through all of those experiences, I just did my final application for my citizenship, which was probably the most labor intensive with regards to documents and records. I did it all myself mm-hmm. and I went through successfully. It was absolutely fine. You just need to give yourself some time to do the documents properly, read through everything slowly, right. make sure that you've created a checklist, that you're ticking off every checklist, read forums, read the Facebook pages of people who have already done it because they'll give you those tips when you're doubting yourself and you're not sure if this is the right document. Just got to give your time to do, give yourself the time to do the research and chances are you can pretty much do it on your own or part use an agency if you need to. Right. But the agencies are a very good comforting route to take. Right. They really do hold your hand all the way through. So for that initial stage, which uh, agency did you use, if you remember? I know, and you're going to ask me this, and I absolutely cannot remember it. <laughs> I mean, maybe our recollections are slightly different of this, and maybe I'm confusing it with a different process that we've been through. But I, I seem to recall it being quite a frustrating process for Tanner, mm-hmm. and that the communication from the agency wasn't necessarily particularly clear. Uh, and... You know, I, I seem to recall there being a lot of frustration around what was originally packaged as a very simple, easy process that uh, ended up being a little bit laborious with, you know, lack of responses and timely responses, right. etc. Um, when we left, they to come here. I, yeah, there was one one of the, the third parties that used, and I'm not sure if there was another third party used somewhere in the process, but there was yeah. frustration. What's well, good you don't remember their name. They're dead to us now. <laughs> exactly. I'll be able to get you the name. No, don't. I'm not making a naughty list. I'm just making a nice list. Yeah, yeah fair uh, enough. We also don't want a defamation suit, thank you. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> right. 
Okay, so you you made that initial step. Did you at the time ship furniture or any other items across? No, absolutely nothing. We we just came across with clothes. We have a few pieces of furniture and artwork that are very special to us that we didn't sell off and that Oliver's mum has at her home in Peter Maritzburg. But we were lucky enough that we had two friends who were both bachelors at the time looking for a place to stay. And so they moved into our house that we were renting and we could leave some furniture behind for them. So that was super handy. You've now got your residency. How long um, ago was that? Or citizenship? I've just booked my citizenship ceremony for the 7th of September. So hey, I know, congratulations. That's long awesome. Slug, a long, expensive slug. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the horizon and I've got a date in the books now. So Could you make a shot in the dark guess at the total cost for the process? You mean including the initial application for ancestral visa? Let, let's say yes, sure, why not? Okay, so I can't remember the initial cost that I paid that agency who did it. Again, I can find this information for you and happy to. That's all good. Across. But you have to have a certain amount in your bank account. I know that for moving over. And I think it was about 80,000 rand mm. that you had to have in your bank account in order to right. cross to the UK and even start your application. I'd say the entire cost has probably been in the region of about 8,000 pounds. Okay. Um, and that includes my indefinite leave to remain and then going through into my citizenship. That doesn't include the amount of times I've still had to apply for Schengen's every time I wanted to go across. To right, of Europe. course. Yeah. And those were about 120 to 250 apart. So fairly hefty. Could have been more. I used a um, agency on my indefinite leave to remain application. I didn't use an agency on my second one. A lot of people do use agencies, especially if they have children as well, just because it's a laborious thing to go through. Mm -hmm. So that was my cost for first time around using an agency, second time around doing it on my own. All right. So do you have any tips for dealing with the the stress of the process of moving across? Um, Do your research. Make sure that you ask questions from people who have gone through it recently because it seems like things change all the time. They really do. There's always like little smaller details that seem to just crop up. So I would definitely speak to people who have done it at least in the last year. So I'm guessing there's definitely a South Africans in London yeah. Facebook group that you could check out and any number of other combinations of yeah, location exactly. and South Africans in them. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think also there's there's benefit to getting away from the South African Facebook group, to be quite frank. You know, I think that, that potentially an argument from a number of people would be that as South Africans in the UK, we tend to, to adopt a bit of a lager mentality. Uh, mm-hmm. We tend to ignore the rest of the country, even from a travel perspective. So I think that there's easier ways to kind of ingratiate yourself into to local lifestyles, uh, depending on mm-hmm. where you've chosen to live. Realistically, also, I think you've got to be pragmatic. You know, I think that people have this vision that it's going to be like South Africa and you'll drive 20 minutes around the corner to see your mates on the weekend. Like, it's not going to be like that unless you happen to all live in a particular location and that will enable that. And so you've got to manage your expectations. It is going to be a different lifestyle, right? And you've got to deal right. with that. Sure. If you don't like it, don't come kind of scenario. But I do think that uh, there is probably an element of managing expectations in terms of where you live as well. 
right? So if you choose to live in Essex, for example, which is in Northeast, you know, practically that's going to take you two hours to drive around London to go visit your friends in Surrey. So yeah, it might be cheaper or it might look like a nice place, but if seeing your friends is important to you, be realistic around travel is not as efficient necessarily as you think it's going to be. You know, it's not like there's fast trains across London and suddenly we're with friends. And I think that's where people sometimes sure. set themselves up for failure is that they think they're going to replicate the lifestyle perfectly. Mm-hmm. It just it's, just doesn't work like that. Right, right. I've heard that from a few different people that don't expect it to be South Africa in and then the new location. Like it's a totally different thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. The next two questions are, are what are the best things about your new home and what are the worst things? So my experience to date with interviews has been that people don't wax too eloquent about their location, but I want you to wax eloquent about London. Like, what do you love and hate about London? Let's start with love. Like, what do you love about London? It's, it's such a famous, special city that occupies a huge amount of mind space. I don't want to do it the injustice of like, oh, it's, you know, good metro and it's you know, nice galleries. Like, is there an energy there? Is there an outlook that you think is special? I think the biggest thing that I realized was incredible about London is that literally anything is possible here. Mm. You can be anyone here. There is a market for the nichest of niche things. Like a massive cereal shop is the first thing that comes to the top of my head. I mean, that's ridiculous. But in shortage, there's a cereal shop that you can walk into and buy any kind of cereal under the sun. (laughs) That's amazing. There are just a need for every type of human in London. So if you hustle and you look and you're willing to try things out, there is a place for everyone here. Mm. And nobody bats an eyelid at the unusual or strange. So you can quite literally be most wonderfully and independently yourself here and it'll be appreciated amazing awesome um ollie yeah i I think there's also just this you know i get that this maybe isn't for everyone but it's the history right and the revenants of the place uh whether you're into the monarchy or not it's immaterial there's just such history that's so well documented so well presented to you and you know that's not going getting caught up in the kind of tourist traps right necessarily Mm. it's just it's it's ingrained across the whole city and you you know you find yourself walking around the barbican which by itself is just such a unique piece of architecture and then suddenly you'll just see quite literally an ancient roman wall that was found and has just been left there right you know and it's just this real mix of when we talk about old it's proper old right right, in terms of the city and the fact that there's really not a straight road in the whole place. It just, it's it's like there's so much to find and discover that, you know, for me, it's almost the frustration sometimes. Like you go to a city like New York, it's a grid. You, you feel like you can actually wrap your head around, okay, we saw that, we saw that, I've experienced that. Mm. You will never conquer London. You will never have experienced everything that London has to offer because you actually won't know about everything that London has to offer, right? Right, And you get into like the world of the, the really weird private members clubs, right? Where there's just a door in a building. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's no sign, there's nothing. And, and you have no idea what's behind there. 
but it could range from complete sadomasochist kind of behavior to pretentious Chelsea snobs, which, you know, probably entwined quite well. But, <laughs> you know, like the, the point being is that there's so much that you don't know. Right. And that's the, the cool part as well. Oh. That's very well put. Just for example, the fact that you were in Baker Street, which is obviously Sherlock Holmes doesn't really exist or didn't really exist, but... You know, I'm a huge fan of the stories and the mythology and all that. And just to walk around on that street, and I'm sure there is a 221B Baker Street door and all that kind of thing with a thousand tourists taking photos. And yeah, fascinating. Beyond that, John, like one street down from Baker Street, which is where we ended up living, is the original Lord's Cricket Ground. Right. right? You know, there's a plaque that says this is the original Lord's Cricket Ground. Mm. And, you know, for me as a cricket fan, like Lord's is kilometer up the road but that's the original pitch right there it's quite literally just a plaque on on a public park and this is the beauty as well like over time so much has changed here and you you just you can get caught up sometimes in that history and not realize something of significance happens across the city every day for hundreds of years and that power has shifted across the city over time I mean, I'll never forget being in a meeting uh, with UK government and it was pointed out to me that the the room that we were in was where they lay Lord Nelson. Wow. You know, and you're just like, whoa, okay, that's yeah. that's pretty weird and and creepy at the same time. But cool. uh, yeah, yeah. Very, <laughs> like, again, a history. yeah, very cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. What well, now, Wax eloquent about the worst things about London? The pollution. Okay. For me, it is 100% the pollution because my asthma has suffered since I moved here. So I felt it physically mm-hmm. and you can see it. Oh, just so, like literally yeah. soot in the air, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, no, you can't see it in there. You blow your nose when you get back after being off the tube though and you can see it. Wow. And then also just like the fine layer of dust living in central London. Also, we live in an area that's constantly redeveloping. So there's just lots of building, but there's always building going on in London as well. So I think it's mostly the smog, though, from mm. all the transport. And- yeah, interesting. Because, I mean, I remember seeing an old graphic about how much soot was generated by London. I think it was late 1800s, early 1900s. And it essentially, the graphic covered, soot covered Buckingham Palace up to the size of like a small mountain. And then by the 80s or 90s, they had abolished a lot of coal burning and a lot of things generated that soot. And it, bec- it became the size of, is it Nelson's Column in, in yeah. Trafalgar Square? So yeah. it was much less. But I do remember having visited as well, that whole blow your nose and <laughs> it comes out kind of gray, black. Yeah. Like, that's that's hectic. And that's also part of wanting to get out of Central as well, is just to feel like you're getting a better quality of air. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely the hardest thing for me here, I'd say. Okay. Ollie? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think linked to that is commuting, quite frankly. And it's 2021, and you go to other cities, other countries in the world, and yeah, commuting might be busy. There might be lots of people, but you're talking about relatively modern trains that usually have air conditioning, that usually have Wi-Fi, you know, and that's where, where Asia and, you know, in many instances, Europe, put this place to shame but that's a, a price that you pay for the beautiful history legacy etc is you know we've got an ancient commuter network mm. what do you miss about south africa 
Oh, gosh, so much. Family, friends started that. Yeah, definitely family and friends right at the top of the list. Sunshine, food, open spaces, quality of food, quality of outdoor access or space at least. Would you say that the food in London is not as good as Cape Town? For I, I don't think you get as good value, so you have to pay quite a lot to get um just the variety that we have back home right. and the quality of freshness as well. Okay. Interesting. Freshness and flavor. <laughs> the best in the land is good enough for Simba. <laughs> <laughs> um, so friends, family, food, wide open spaces. It's, it's the list of most people who move to the UK. Um, but it's also, it's, it's, it's privacy. Like it sounds weird, but you, you know, we take for granted that we live in houses behind walls. So if you want to go run around your garden naked in South Africa, you can do that pretty much. Right. But the reality is in the UK, like that, that's seldom is that happening. Or certainly in a London context. Sure. Odds are good you're living in a terraced house or maybe end of terraced house. Uh, odds are really good that when you stand in your garden, uh, you will be able to make eye contact with your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you take for granted, like, you know, to be able to just wander outside and have a piss in your own garden, like that, that counts for something, sure. quite frankly. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. um, and it's that, that, that privacy that, that I think you, I certainly miss a lot of. Is the general uh, approach to that lack of privacy in England the old British way of just ignoring it and pretending that other people don't exist? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, but everyone tends to know. I suppose that's the difference as well. Everyone tends to know their neighbors in the UK. I kind of feel like it varies, right? Oh, you're right. I, I've it does seen, vary, actually. Like I, I've seen seen friends, South African friends, who used to, in a South African context, with no fear of repercussions from their neighbors, have big parties. Mm-hmm. But now suddenly the neighbors are there and they're right next door. And so it's, oh, you know. It's 11, let's quickly go inside, let's close the doors. Guys, keep it down, keep it down. Right. So yeah. some people react like that. Some people, yeah. you know, are, are, to be honest, bad neighbors, and South Africans can fall into that camp pretty easily as well, right? Sure. <laughs> Do you feel like you have more buying power in your new home? Yes. Um, I mean, you've already said the opportunities that you've both had professionally are far greater than what you would have here, Right. Yeah, for sure. I think our buying power has increased on a global scale, but oh, sorry, I'm not good at answering this. Let's go to the finance guy. <laughs> the the move for us as well was an opportunity to press reset to a certain degree. And, you know, any kind of significant change is an opportunity for you to take a step back and say, well, what's important to you? What's not important to you? As South Africans, the reality is, is that you, the context is very material, right? You live in your own house. It's a unique house. You own your cars, right? In London, we live in a flat. Mm-hmm. That's it. We get on the tube. We share everything. Everything's a lot more commoditized. And so that competition with the Joneses doesn't exist to the same degree necessarily. You can really choose to to tap out of that lifestyle. And for us, moving here to start with was an opportunity for us to reassess what was important and essentially try and 
through that process say, okay, how do we make our hamster wheel as small as possible mm -hmm. so that it requires as little effort as possible to turn it? Right. And I think that we we succeeded in doing that when we when we moved across. And naturally, as as I guess humans are prone to, you there's a little bit of scope creep, you start getting a bit lazy and you start going, Oh well, let's, you know, get this and you know, it's simple things like sky. Like, do you need sky? You know, do you do you really? Are you talking about the big blue thing or sports news channel? <laughs> the sports news channel. Okay. Uh, I mean, just to be clear, you're not going to see the blue yeah thing. the blue thing. <laughs> yeah. so do you really need it? <laughs> so that's why we pay Murdoch for oh, no. for TV. Oh. But you know, you don't like. What's the benefit of that? Sure. But I mean, all of that stuff adds up, right? Mm. Um, and again, the opportunity to press reset and go. Well, what's really important? And I think that. You know, maybe where people go wrong is again in managing expectations. They want there to be this like for like move. And I think if you if you're pursuing that, then I'm afraid the cost of living has just gone up astronomically for you. Right. Yeah. yeah. To have your own house, to have your own car, to have that freedom of movement and all that. In South Africa it's cheap and in London it's to have that space and that mm. privacy as well. Yep. Yeah. And to be clear, this is a very London centric view, right? Sure. Because because you could go live up north and, you know, I, I don't know the numbers, but I would hazard a guess that you probably get the, the freestanding house mm. and the privacy and that, and you probably break out the same sure. at the end of the month, sure. right? Which comes back to what's the premium you attach to, to London mm -hmm. and the premium you attach to being close to London because that's where all the staffers are, right. which are your mates and now your family. Sure. Okay, so quick fire round. Rate your new home from one to ten in the following quality of life categories. Oh. Number one, healthcare. Eight. Nine and a half. Yeah, actually, nine and a half. I'll go back. Okay. Uh, education. Not applicable. Not applicable, yeah. Cool. Uh, three, work opportunity. Nine. Nine. Uh, number four, weather. Two. <laughs> four. <laughs> Uh, number five, arts and culture. Nine. I'm going to go with seven and a half. It's just go to gigs and like the crowd needs to be a little bit more lively and put their phones away. Sorry about the language. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Number six, restaurants and food. Um, I'd say from an accessibility point, probably like a seven, but the availability is nine. Accessibility versus availability? The cost of right. some of the really good restaurants is prohibitive. Oh, I see. So the fat duck's there, but you're going to pay to go there like a lot more than you would going to Frontchuk, for example. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's a fair, fair, fair statement. I mean, I think the markup on a fine dining experience here is probably more than in South Africa when you compare it to like a Hartford house or, you know, that kind of step up yeah. uh, in dining. Um, I think that the, 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 so putting restaurants aside, food and food ingredients in London is terrible, right? We are at the end of the supply chain of large retail uh, companies. Right. Um, you know, we might live five minutes from Borough Market. But the reality is, is that you don't want to go to Borough Market on a Saturday because it's so ram full of tourists. Right. Uh, further to which, because it's so ram full of tourists, the price of everything is inflated. Right. But, you know, 
the, the reality is, is that you don't have access to quality ingredients. And I know that there's been an explosion in, in you know, food delivery kind of setups with, you know, bespoke meals each night. Um, I'm not sure that, you know, the provenance of those ingredients has necessarily been proven or locked down yet, right, right. on the whole. Well, so the use of single-use plastic is ridiculous. What's the equivalent of Woolworths in, in London? Is it not Tesco's? Waitrose. 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 Would you estimate them as equivalent or which one's better? Um, I think that Woolworths is more accessible. I feel like shopping at Woolworths will happen earlier in your life than shopping at Waitrose. But I've not, I'm also conscious that prices have changed drastically since I've last had to rely on Woolworths. Right. Um, um, last one, opportunity to travel. Uh, assuming that there was no current pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a big old 10. Mm. Got your Ryanair flight. Start, and... It didn't start at a 10. Um, yeah. Well, no, it started at Surely it's got worse because of Brexit. Oh, yeah. Cause, well, I mean, not really because I had to get a Schengen every time anyway. So <laughs> it's the same for me. Um, but, yeah, I think like the opportunity to travel at a super accessible price if you're willing to you know, travel on low-budget airlines and be smart about it is incredible. Uh, congratulations. You're the first people I've talked to who have managed to just give me the numbers. I mean, we're, we're basically waiting for this to end so that we can then debate it with one another, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, two more questions. Number one, how easy or difficult has it been to integrate into the culture, like the people and the culture of, of England? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the thing that helped certainly me feel more at home very quickly is having a job. So that entrenches you into the daily routine, the daily grind, the weekly grind, which is London. London is just constantly grinding Mm 24-7. So I think having a job kind of gets you into that Mm -hmm. system pretty quickly and you get to meet a lot of Londoners, not that they're from here. I think everyone I met in my first job, the only person that was actually English was the owner of the company. Everyone else had gone elsewhere. Even in my current company now, there's not very many English people and there are a lot of foreigners. Mm-hmm. So you're all away from home. You've all chosen to make London your home. So that immediately makes you familiar to them. So no matter where they come from in the world, you're right. all not at home. You're all choosing a foreign city as your home. So that immediately puts you in the same, the same kind of group. All right. I, I think Ten's a hundred percent right. I think there's an acknowledgement that Londoners are are multicultural and generally not British. I think also it's the realization takes a while to kick in that just how different the rest of the country is. When they talk about oh he's from the West Country, like that means something. People from Yorkshire are a certain kind of there's stereotypes that are attached to all of those things. A hundred percent. And, you know, that the, those kind of subtle nuances you don't get from the foreigners, right? Mm. You get that from the Brits and, and very often you've got to go outside of London to find those people and engage with them. And we still have the benefit of being South African, you know, outside of London. Like there's, I want to say we're a novelty, but the locals feel like, oh, no, that's, that's, that's a foreigner I can talk to. Right. Right. They used to be yeah. one of our um, people. Yeah, yeah, but, but 100%, right? Like other foreigners, we don't want them here. Right. We've made that abundantly clear now. We've voted on this. But the South Africans, you know, and, and this is also something that, that people need to get ready for, right, is is the racism. Right. Let's call it what it is. Like, yeah. you know, people yeah. will, will, 
will give you a nudge and a wink, wink, and go, oh, but I mean, you know, you know. You're, you're South African. You know what we're talking about. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, 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 we we really yeah. don't know what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. The amount of times I've had to stop people in the tracks and actually, unfortunately, have had to sometimes say, we're not those South Africans. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, because there's this assumption that we buy into that or a, a degree. So they're trying to figure out what degree of racism. Yeah. Yeah. Into. So they're poking around. And, and, like, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not in at all. Yeah. Like, I'm not in for any of this. And you have to be quite explicit up front, and then you can see people shut down a certain part. Right. Yeah. And then you forget, like, this, this place is, is rural still. You go to certain places, and I mean, you start listening to some of the Cornish people speak, and you have no idea what they're speaking about. You know, like, similarly, you go up north, like Newcastle. I mean, some of the conversations, you're just like, I genuinely have no idea what you're saying to me right now. Right. Um, you are not speaking English. Yeah. Um, my friend, uh, my friend Zoe is in Hampshire and she kind of hinted, I, I got the impression that when she said there's a traditional outlook, there's a somewhat insular, isolated kind of thing, I got like a little bit of a tinge of racism kind of thing going on out of that. Well, it's yeah. definitely racist. I mean, yeah. you know, you're talking about a country that, that hasn't dealt with its its colonial history mm. it doesn't know how to deal with that right and there's some amazing stuff going on here trying to address that we saw i'm not sure if you saw the stuff coming out of bristol where they tore down the the slave uh, master statue threw it into the river yeah. this is a very topical point and it, it touches very very closely on the whole Rhodes must fall stuff mm-hmm. it actually ended up back at oxford university and a statue of Rhodes. and so it's been really interesting in south africans seeing that you know south africa kind of was dealing with this narrative a few years before britain started dealing with it sure. and you know watching the different ways that it went in south africa or is going in south africa versus some of the different decisions that are being made here and you realize that we are, are just so lucky as South Africans of our generation to have gone through a transition where, where the history books in our schools literally changed. Mm. Yeah, that's a wake up call to everyone that like history is written by the victor, right? Sure. And, and this country's never had that moment. Sure. And it's, it's battling, no doubt, to, to come to terms with what its role is in its historical atrocities, creating some of the issues that we face today. Right. Um, but in the same breath, you know, as much as there is an element of, of racism and, and perhaps not wanting to to deal with the realities of today, you know, there's a large chunk of people that are, are really pushing these agendas very, very hard. And I think that that's another great thing about London is that, and again, for me and my industry, like if you want to see change, these are the types of cities where you move a dial mm. and something can happen that's meaningful right and you know we've got a long way to go on the colonial history but we're starting to scratch the surface and it's fascinating the overlap with south africa mm-hmm. on this topic there is this interwoven thing that we have going on with this country mm. um you love it and you hate it but it's weird yeah <laughs> i imagine look there must be london must also be home to a little bit of everything but a large kind of section of it must be some of the most progressive people you've ever met. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I think I've had some of the most interesting conversations of my life here, maybe that night in some dingy little hole somewhere. But um, it goes back to what I had mentioned before. There's this possibility and freedom to be uniquely and exclusively and wonderfully yourself. Right. Um, 
So, you know, because that exists, you do see mm. people approaching really difficult subjects and really difficult um, topics. Right. And, you know, there's forever a march about something, whether it's good or bad is debatable, but, you know, it exists because that freedom to be yourself is, is very accessible. Mm. Okay. So, um, last question, what advice would you give people considering moving to your new home? Moving to London from South Africa. Yeah, I look. I, would, I think you've already said the the very good point of don't expect it to be South Africa in with more rain. Like it's a totally different thing. Um, anything else? Even if it's not a big cultural thing, but like a London, you know, don't expect to drive twenty minutes to meet a friend because that's not going to happen or whatever it might be. Listen, for me, it's it's attitude, mm-hmm. right? It's it's you have to change your attitude because. You know, South Africa is South Africa is a really complex place, and with that complexity, you develop certain defense mechanisms and and certain ways of behaving and living, and you you know you really need to kind of tear that down and change your attitude so that you are very much uh, embracing. Okay, this is all different, but that's fine. I think that where you see people really battle in that transition is that they fight. London, right, right. They they fight the 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 tide, right, and it's just like why? Like if you do that and you don't like it, I mean, you shouldn't be here. Mm. And I think that people have to be honest with themselves around. It's not going to be a like for like comparison, and that's okay. And it's okay to be uh, homesick, and it's okay to not be sure because it's going to take time, mm. right, yeah. to adjust to what do you like about one of the world's mega cities. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I just think it's that you've got to come with the right attitude. Otherwise, if you're not willing to say yes to stuff, you might as well just put up a big wall around you and stay in South Africa and not worry about crime and security, etc. And just, you know, exist in a vacuum. Right. <laughs> no, good advice. I told you he would be good to interview for this because <laughs> it's exactly that. I 100% agree. Your attitude is everything when you're here because it is 100% different to South Africa. Not 100%, but I mean, yeah. it's vastly different to South Africa. It's never going to be South Africa because it isn't. Yeah. It's London. Yeah. So embrace as, it. Become a Londoner. Yeah. Embrace it. Yeah. Embrace it. And to Oliver's point, if it's not great, it's okay. Move out a bit and try that. And if that's not great, move a little bit further or move back home if you have that privilege to do that. I don't know, again, maybe this speaks, you know, to us. We're like, oh, well, we don't have to commit to this place forever. This is our joy. <laughs> it's such a transient city as well. How do you mean? You can make friends here, but don't expect them to be around for a very long time. People use London as a very transient city. Right. It's a midway place or a stepping up place or, you know, a leaving place. People are going back home. People are moving to the States. People are moving to Australia. They're going to Europe or they're moving to the country. Hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess even moving from one side of the city to another can destroy your the time that you spend with those people on a regular basis and they, they become an acquaintance, hey? Absolutely. I mean, I, I would argue that if if you lived, like if we lived in, again, Essex or, or Suffolk or Norfolk, I would say we would probably see our friends in Switzerland more than we would see some of our friends in South London. Hectic. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Another thing for people to just, dare I say, manage their expectations on is uh, people work here. It's a culture of hard work. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, the reality is, is that it's, I think, something that we don't have to deal with, but this whole trade-off for, for parents, work, and, be, and having that kid time seems mm-hmm. to be a thing that a few people struggle with. Um, right. You know, and you see people spending three hours a day commuting and not seeing the, their kids. You, you do, as an outsider, wonder, like, is that, is that what you had planned when you came here? Was that the like the dream scenario? Because it doesn't seem like a dream scenario. <laughs> sure, you know, and I think it's that slippery slope again. Suddenly, that happens. Guys, I think that was a like a fantastic insight into your lives, but also your thoughts on London and the UK were awesome because they're kind of large philosophically rather than the little oh well you can't get a good coffee here and you know this costs three pounds and that costs two pounds or whatever it might be. So I really appreciate. Um, the insight that you gave into like the greater cultural meaning of living in, in London and the UK. Um, so yeah, and thank you so much for that and, and for your time tonight. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Cool. Thanks very much, guys. We'll chat you later. Bye. Bye. South African Expats is produced by Jonathan Vanka and brought to you by Ping Productions.